Hi, everybody, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen in on our Hilco Global Smarter Perspective podcasts. As return listeners know by now, I'm your host, Steve Katz. And if this is your first time with us, well, and welcome. We're really glad that you could tune in. Our discussion today centers around something we've all seen happening across any number of industries and sectors, particularly with the added stresses of the pandemic over the past two years, and that's bankruptcy filings. As the cost of bankruptcy continues to increase, in particular due to fees and expenses that come along with administering bankruptcy cases, secured lenders are increasingly turning to foreclosures under what's known as Article 9 of the Uniform Commercial Code uh, as a preferred vehicle for disposing of their collateral. Article 9, at least as I understand it before we start this discussion, can be utilized across the spectrum to liquidate any type of collateral. And that's exactly why we invited our four guests today, each of whom brings a different area of expertise and perspective to the discussion. So joining us are Ian Fredericks, president of Hilco Merchant Resources, Rochelle Kalnett, senior VP of Hilco Stream Bank, Brent Bonham, executive VP of Hilco Commercial Industrial, and Jonathan Cuticelli, managing director of Hilco Real Estate. Welcome to you all. Glad you're here. Thank you, Steve, Thanks for, for having us. us. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, well, we're, we're really glad to have you all on. Um, and we've got some serious Hilco brain power in the room, to say the least. So let's kick it off. Uh, Jonathan, it would be great if you could start us off with uh, a quick explanation of the advantages of conducting an Article 9 sale under the Uniform Commercial Code and also your thoughts on when and why a company should consider doing so. Thank you. Um, So as you touched on, Article 9, uh, the UCC provides a statutory regulation of creating, perfecting, and enforcing security interests in personal property and fixtures. Uh, The biggest advantages are that it allows the secured party the ability to perfect their security interests within their loan agreement in a cost-effective time-efficient, and non-judicial manner. There are alternative remedies for affecting their rights, and the most common one is, is to run a judicial foreclosure, which certainly has its positives, but takes considerable time and is usually quite expensive. So by conducting a commercially reasonable UCC Article 9 sale, it expedites the process and ultimately saves all parties' time. And money. And just as a follow-up to that, this is as much for my understanding as anything else, but what is commercially reasonable. Maybe you can explain that within the context of real estate transactions, since that's your area of expertise. If you were to look it up, there isn't a defined term of of what is commercially reasonable. Uh, But some of the hallmarks of commercially reasonableness is how the collateral is being sold, public, private, in parts or versus the whole, Uh, the time, the place, and manner of the collateral being sold, meaning is it an as-is state or are there repairs that are going to be made, et cetera, et cetera. And then time that you are actively marketing the opportunity in the marketplace for third parties to have an opportunity to um, see if it's something that they're interested in purchasing. Okay, great. I think that's a good a good setup. Uh, let's turn next to Rochelle. Rochelle, uh Maybe you can give us some insight into why we're hearing more about Article 9 sales recently, certainly during the pandemic. Has Other than that, has, has something changed 
Uh, and are you seeing the same trend in intellectual property? And if so, how's that playing out for businesses there? Thanks, Steve. So yeah, you touched on it with, with the pandemic. Certainly, COVID restricted um, availability of state courts. So if a state court was required to oversee receiverships or to a lesser extent, assignments for the benefit of creditors, those courts were relatively inaccessible in varying degrees, depending on the court in 2020 and 2021. Um, So the benefits of a court-sanctioned process, which are often certainty, um, really went away during that time period. Um, And it really caused a lot of lenders and their professionals to take a closer look at these types of alternative remedies. Um, Coupled with that, I think we all can see that the bankruptcy process is increasingly time intensive. So there's substantial lead up and wind down, even post sale when the professionals think about how to get out of the case, whether through a structured dismissal or a plan. Um, Whereas in an Article 9 transaction, you're really in and out in 30 to 45 days or longer if you want to be. But if you want to get out of Dodge quickly, um, this is a, a very efficient way to do it. In a bankruptcy, we all may talk about a 30 to 45 day sale process. But the reality is that with the pre-filing preparation, the first day papers, um, and the post-sale wind down, the entire process ends up being substantially longer than that 30 to 45 day period. Um, and even in you know a quick sale case um, in a bankruptcy, you have a number of items that require substantial negotiation, you know, including the budget for a dip or cash collateral. And each party in a bankruptcy has certain duties and obligations, and it's expected that those are fulfilled. Um, And all of that costs, takes time and costs money. So all of these factors combined um, have encouraged and really forced lenders to become more familiar with the Article 9 process for all different types of collateral. So it's yet another tool in the toolbox when collateral needs to be sold. And the question is, what is the most value maximizing, cost-effective, timely process that will achieve the lender's goals? As a result of that, um, certainly on the IP side, we've seen an uptick in lenders looking to explore and actually um, undertaking Article 9 transactions for, for intellectual property assets. It's particularly useful for IP, especially when you have a borrower that's not cooperative, because many forms of IP assets, such as trademarks and patent portfolios, can be um, conveyed to a buyer through a legal assignment. So when you have a borrower that's not cooperative, those assets, um, you don't need the, the borrower to cooperate um, to convey those assets through a sale to a third party. Um, on the flip side, if you do have a cooperative borrower and there is some um, vestige of an operating business, um, Article 9 can still be used um, to convey those assets. And we've seen sales that almost look like a going concern sale where there's some type of transition services, um, where a website remains live. And so it cre- really ca- can be a tool that can be used to in, in, a, in a wide variety of transactions. Um, we've also seen interest from lenders in utilizing Article 9 as an information gathering exercise in advance of selling their debt. So maybe they stay on through the end of the process to an auction, or maybe they use the information that they've 
um, amassed from the sale process to um, to sell their debt in advance of the auction. So the point being, you know, lenders can tailor Article 9 to meet their needs depending on the circumstances um, because it's an eminently flexible tool to dispose of collateral efficiently. Okay, uh, great, great uh, comprehensive explanation. Thanks. And relevant to that flexibility, let's let's turn next to Brent. Uh, Brent, you're obviously coming at this from the commercial industrial equipment side of the equation. And I know that Hilco Commercial Industrial has purchased and sold assets under the Article 9 process. Uh, is there a case or a couple, maybe a couple cases that you could talk about uh, and how your efforts and the process uh, within those specific uh, engagements was really beneficial to the parties? Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thanks, Steve. So uh, look, uh, uh, a relevant and, and very recent example um, that, that I can give uh, is, you know, Hilco Commercial Industrial was pursuing uh, the acquisition of, of essentially a fleet of, of transportation assets uh, that, that became available as, as a result of a recent wind down of, of the owning company. Um, you know, as, as we dug in to everything that was going on behind the scenes and, and who the lien holders of the various assets might be, uh, we, we learned that, that there were several different lenders involved, each with different and specific collateral. So really because the buyer, uh, Given their recent wind down, uh, not as not not because they weren't cooperative as as Rochelle mentioned, uh, but really because they weren't able to to cooperate or help us effectuate the sale process. Given where they were in, in the state of their wind down, uh, we then worked with all of the various lien holders to conduct several simultaneous Article Nine uh, notification processes and, and related sales to perfect our interest in the acquisition of the assets that we were acquiring, um, thereby allowing us to be able to sell them to our third party buyers, you know, free and clear in, in a reasonable time frame. So the transaction itself was extraordinarily time sensitive given everything that was happening with the company. Um, and the the Article 9 process that we ran for the various lien holders really did allow us to conduct those sales in a in a very quick time frame and and frankly maximize the recovery for the various lien holders as well. All right, per- perfect, great great case example there. Ian, let's turn to you now. Uh, can you shed some light on how the use of Article 9 plays out in the retail or wholesale world, which I know is largely what you focus on? Perhaps maybe there's, a, a again, another client engagement that you can use to demonstrate uh, the work that you've done there. Sure, Steve. Uh, I would say that it's different between retail and wholesale, and there haven't been too many recent examples, at least on the retail side. And the, one of the reasons is that Retail needs a lot more cooperation than I think you heard from my other colleagues. So for example, if you think about a typical retailer, they have stores, they usually lease those stores. They oftentimes will have distribution centers or third-party logistics companies where they uh, you know, enter into some kind of a contractual relationship with those, whether it's a lease or just a contract. So you need a lot of performance from a lot of different people to make a retail liquidation operate. Uh, efficiently, efficiently and optimally. And unlike the bankruptcy code, Article 9 does not restrict those constituents from taking action. So in a bankruptcy, you have an automatic stay that stops a landlord from kicking you out of the location, allows you to continue operating. You know, your employees can continue to get paid. You need your employees to 
uh, you know, to continue with you through a liquidation as well in the stores. So it really historically has not been used for those reasons. There's just too much uncertainty and a little bit too much chaos. What I'm kind of interested to see is at a smaller retailer that say had, you know, a handful of stores, 10, 20 stores with the current environment and landlords really wanting people to stay in their locations, whether you could get more cooperation, uh, you know, especially if you had some more mom and pop landlords where you have a large swath of stores, I just don't see it as a workable option. On the wholesale inventory side, it's definitely something that can work. Again, you really just need to make sure that there's access to that inventory to be able to go get it for the buyer. And that's usually something that can be worked out you know, pretty easily. You know, Typically, the lender may have to make sure or factor into the bidding whatever cost it's going to take to sort of get the inventory out of its location. Because typically, if it's in a warehouse or something like that, the warehouseman can assert a warehouseman's lien you know, et cetera. So there are some other considerations, but it's definitely feasible in the wholesale context. Maybe it's workable in a small retail context with uh, a handful of stores in a large retail operation with a lot of stores. I don't really see it as a viable option. Uh, and it certainly can be combined. You know, one of the things that you can do with sort of the, you know, where Rochelle's dealing with IP or Brent's dealing with uh, industrial assets or manufacturing assets you can put all three of those together in kind of one Article 9. So where I've seen it work for wholesale is where you do have some other assets for sale, and you can either push all of those together and sell them as like a bulk transaction, or you can sell the individual parts. You can market it as both. So it gives you a lot of the same flexibility you would have to maximize value uh, in, in that wholesale inventory context where you can put it together with other assets. That's a great way to connect all the pieces Thanks again. You know, we have just a couple minutes left, so I think I'm going to direct this last question back to Rochelle. You know, it, it definitely seems like businesses should be familiarizing themselves with all of the intricacies of Article 9 sales process by talking with experts such as yourselves. But, you know, if they don't and a situation is imminent, I think it'd be helpful for listeners to understand how important it is to quick, either quickly determine that going down the Article 9 path is the optimal approach, um, and, you know, if not, uh, you know, what other options are open to them. So, Rochelle, could you maybe just address that in the couple minutes we have left? Absolutely, Steve. So, I think what's actually good for the lenders here and, and their lawyers who are working the midnight shift is to understand that I think imminency is is a relative term. So I think most lenders like they've they, they see this coming. They know that the credit is troubled, it's in forbearance, they've done an amendment, like they've been around the block with these um borrowers. So they're they've got a little bit of time to kind of explore their options. I think what ultimately needs to happen is flexibility. So like Ian, you know, mentioned the stay in bankruptcy, you don't have that in an article nine transaction. So I think it's just as you're preparing to go down the path of an article nine, if all of the sudden you have creditors taking action against you and you need to pivot to a bankruptcy, it's just being prepared for all of that, being ready to um, address the situations that come up um, so that you are able to respond accordingly. Can you take some type of control of the assets so that creditors cannot collect against them? With inventory, probably not. They're held in a third-party warehouse. It's not like the lender is going to go in and 
grab the inventory. They can't do that They uh, for many reasons. But, you know, what can they do for less tangible assets? Well, they certainly already have the right to be able to um, transfer a patent portfolio. Can they protect themselves with respect to um, valuable domain names and obtain the registrar credentials from a cooperative borrower? Possibly. All of these things are worth exploring if you've got a trouble credit. Okay, great. Well, listen, it's a complicated topic to be sure, but thank you to each of you for simplifying it for our listeners today. If I could ask uh, each of you, let's start with Jonathan, to just uh, provide your best form of contact if anybody who's listening in today would like to reach out specifically to any of our esteemed speakers today. Jonathan, go ahead. Absolutely. Jonathan Cudicelli, um, my area of specialty is in the real estate world. I can be reached via email at jcudicelli at hillcoglobal.com. And that's J-C-U-T-I-C-E-L-L-I at hillcoglobal.com. And my phone number is 203-561-8737. Great. Rochelle? Sure. I'm Rochelle Callant. My focus is on intellectual property assets. My email address is r-k-a-l-n-i-t at hilcoglobal.com. And the best number for me is 917-328-7030. Perfect. Brent? Yep. I'm Brent Bonham with uh, my area of expertise being in uh, commercial and industrial assets. Uh, best way to reach me is via email. It's bbonham at hilcoglobal.com. That's B B O N. H-A-M at hillcoglobal.com. And the best telephone number to reach me is 616-328-6890. Okay. And lastly, Ian. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Ian Fredericks. I'm president of the retail group, mostly on the inventory side, whether it's inventory at wholesale or retail. Uh, I Fredericks at hillcoglobal.com. That's I-F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K-S. And my mobile number is 847 847- Six eight seven nine three seven five. All right, perfect. Jonathan, Rochelle, Brent, Ian, thanks so much for joining us. And listeners, we hope that this Hilco Global Smarter Perspective podcast provided you with at least one key takeaway that you can put to good use in your business or share with a colleague or client to make them that much more successful moving forward. Until next time, I am Steve Katz for Hilco Global. 